You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Ushers are coming forward. The ushers have Bibles that uh, uh, we would love to put a copy of God's Word into your hands. Turn in the book to the book in the Old Testament, near the end of the Old Testament, to Habakkuk, uh, the book with all the K's in it, and an amazing book of the Bible. And if you do not have a Bible here in, in, in the main theater and in live stream, Bibles are available. We would love for you to have your eyes and your fingers in the Word of God as we go through it. We value God's Word here at Hope and uh, just desire to be people of the Word who are building our lives, our church, our businesses, our careers, everything on the Word of God, our marriages, our families our fears, our, our, uh, the future, all of that on the Word of God. And also kids that are in here, Hope Kids, are, the older kids are in here today. Um, you have some packages to, that are being handed out right now to keep you uh, somewhat busy, but also keep one ear on the messages. There's going to be things that you can pick up and understand because it is God's Word. It's timeless and it's for all ages. So we're going to be looking here at Habakkuk, continuing this series, When Hope Seems Hard. And uh, so we begin week number two in this. You know, the words, that's not fair, oftentimes has been uttered from the lips of everyone in this room, everyone in live stream, anyone in this world who's ever lived, we have all uttered those words at one time or another, that's not fair. They got a bigger bowl of ice cream than I did. Some of you kids might yell and say, that's not fair. They always get a bigger bowl of ice cream. That's not fair. Or the refs missed a call and, and got, or made the wrong call and my team lost and that's not fair. Or the wrong person at work got the promotion, and that's not fair. Or the trial or difficulty that I'm facing in life, and I look at my life and I just say, that's not fair. And then I look at, and see the world around me, and I see the wicked prospering, and the wicked are winning, and it seems that the righteous are suffering, and we say, that's not fair. We've all cried it at one time or another, and we will probably all cry it again and again, because there are things in our justice system that just doesn't seem to make sense, and so we cry out, that's not fair, that's not right. The prophet Habakkuk was also calling this out, and he is saying, that's not fair. And last week as we started, we looked at the first four verses of this amazing book. Now, Habakkuk is known as the doubting prophet. He, he had a question mark for a brain, it would seem, as he had questions of God, and he wasn't getting the answers. And then when the answers came, we're going to see he wasn't too happy with the answers. And so we're on this journey into the raw and very real, uncomfortable question that people have been asking for centuries. God, where are you? God, how could you? That's not fair. How long must I suffer? How, how long until my prayers are answered? It just doesn't seem fair. And the prophet Habakkuk, the prophet of, from, from the Old Testament, was witnessing a society that was falling apart in, in their whole moral fabric. It was just falling apart. It was becoming undone. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people, founded on, committed to the word of God, to the Ten Commandments. But they had moved away from the word of God. And it seemed that everyone, it seemed in the nation, and according to Habakkuk, it would seem, had plunged themselves into moral madness. Everyone, including the leaders, seemed to have forsaken the law of the Lord and instituted their own false righteousness. They backslid into idol worship and to immorality. And they were falling to the point where even as we saw last week, justice wasn't even, the justice system, the courts, the judges were all corrupted. Very similar to what we can be seeing happening today. 
Habakkuk and other prophets were sent to warn the Israelites, turn away from wickedness. God says, follow him, repent. And if you repent, God will relent the judgment that is coming. If you repent, you will experience blessing. But for the most part, the people just put their fingers in their ears and said, I'm not going to listen to you, God. We're not going to listen to the prophets. In fact, they made life very difficult for the prophets. Getting the job of being a prophet in the Old Testament days was not an easy job. In fact, it was a very difficult, struggling, hard work because people wouldn't listen. And oftentimes, you'd even get beat up, perhaps even imprisoned or even death. You know, there are so many similarities, though, to what we're facing even today. Churches, preachers, entire denominations, individual Christians call themselves Christians, and yet they're filled with complacency or lukewarmness or backsliding or filled with such arrogance, and they're building names for themselves and, and giving, yeah, kind of credit to God, but ultimately it's, look at me, look at me, look at what I've done. And where sinfulness becomes justified within the church of Jesus Christ and the holiness of God is very rarely ever talked about or considered. And yet it's a major part of the word of God. Where it seems that righteous, the righteous people were losing, were being mocked and being ridiculed and all the others, the unrighteous, were winning. And this was causing people to be led astray into false doctrines and teaching then and we're seeing that even now. And there's times when I watch a TV preacher, I see one of these false teachers, and I'm like, God, why don't you just strike them dead? God, why don't you just expose them? Like, why doesn't their money just dry up so we don't have to watch this craziness? I, I mean, sometimes just for, I mean, not even, I mean, to be humored because it's so sad, I watch some of this, and I'm like, people believe this? Yes, and they give them thousands, millions of dollars roll in to buy their houses and build their buildings and to buy their jet planes or whatever it might be. And God, why don't you expose them? God, for your name, for your glory, your reputation is at stake. And they're leading the followers that are following them not towards Christ. They're leading them to hell. It's a false gospel. Well, Habakkuk is disturbed and he's annoyed at what he's seen. And last week we see the, the, the prophet pleading with God, do something. God, how can you allow this? God, you have to intervene. God, you have to step in. And Habakkuk was thinking to a time where God did intervene. He remembers the days in King Josiah, as we talked last week, how this godly king came along and he brought reforms to the nation and the nation followed hard after God. And there was the blessing of God that came with that. Or he would have remembered the story of Jonah and Nineveh, that pagan city, and when it was repented, when they, the preaching of the word happened and they responded in repentance and brokenness before God, revival broke out and God relented on the judgment that was coming their way. And then he would have remembered these words written in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. These are anchor words. These are anchor words for the church, I believe, today. They're anchor words for Hope Bible Church. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, will heal their land. This is the leading prayer that we're going to be praying tonight at our prayer night at 530 at our church office location. This is going to be the prayer for our nation. This is the prayer for our region. This is a prayer for our church. This is a prayer for our lives. That when God's people get serious and pray, they gather together, they seek God together. When, when we are disturbed and disrupted about the sinfulness in society, the current state of even the church in Canada, the politics in Canada, the United States, when we're disturbed and, and disrupted about even the sinfulness and the cold lukewarmness in our own heart and God's people gather together 
and pray and seek his face, he will show up. It's a guarantee. It is a promise from God. And we're going to hear story after story tonight. Um, First of all, we're going to whet our appetites with a historical account of God showing up in revival through God's people praying. Or do we just bury our head in the sand and think, ah, let the world go to hell. I'm just going to build my business. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to be passionate about whatever it is that I do. But I'm not really going to care about the spiritual condition of those around me. What about the spiritual condition of our families, our wayward children, our children that committed their, their lives to Jesus Christ, perhaps were even baptized, but now aren't walking with the Lord? God, when will you do a work? When will they return? And as God's people get serious, we are called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And that's why we gather. That's why we gather monthly to pray and to say, God, show up. God, do a work. And tonight, I believe it's with extra passion, with extra uh, oomph that we need to be praying. We need to be a praying people. And I encourage you, adjust your schedules. Come tonight expectant for God to work in your heart, in our church, in this community, in this city, in this region, in our land. It needs it. And we see when God, that, that, that when God's people take this verse and live it and pray and wait for God to work, God shows up and God does a work. And I would love to be part of a movement of a God in that way. Not for our glory, but for his glory. Because if God does not show up, we are in even more serious trouble than we are. But the laws that will be coming our way soon, this will be outlawed for us to be able to be able to stand up and to preach God's word in the way that we desire to preach it full on here at Hope Bible Church in a public setting like this. It will become illegal. Be hate speech. It's moving that way. And we need God to work in our land. But are we going to be moved? Are we going to be disturbed, disrupted? There's a football game on tonight. Mm, Football prayer. Oh, I've got this. I've got that. Oh, we can pray. We can meet with God and ask him to do the things that only he can do. I encourage you to come and let's be amazed and astonished together what God will do. And so we see here in verse 5 of chapter 1 of Habakkuk, we see where God responds to Habakkuk's cry. He's like, God, how can you let this happen? How can you let this happen to your people? God, don't you see what's going on with your people? He's just, there's no justice in the streets. It's all just going to pot. God, what are you going to do? And God says, okay, don't worry, don't worry. I'm going to answer. I'm going to answer. Look at verse 5. Look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your day that you would not believe if I told you. I mean, this is awesome. I mean, Habakkuk's no doubt, yes, this is going to be amazing. I knew you would come through God. Look at what he says. You're going to be astounded. You're going to be in wonder. I'm going to work in your days. You're not even going to believe what I have to tell you here, Habakkuk. You know, this is kind of a funny, not funny verse, because this verse can sometimes get quoted uh, on T-shirts or on Christian calendars or um, at times maybe on a mug or something like that, you know, look, be amazed, be astounded, I'm going to do a work in your day, Habakkuk 1, 5. Well, let's keep reading, let's go on to verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, or another name for them is Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At the kings they scoff, and at the rulers they laugh. 
laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up the earth to take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on guilty men whose own might is their God. This is your response, God? I beg, like, did you get the right, like, did I get the right memo from you? This is what's going to happen to us? Is, shouldn't this happen to the evil, awful, wicked people? This is going to happen to your people? All of a sudden, Habakkuk's singing a little bit different of a tune here. And what a description we get for the Chaldeans. We're also, as I mentioned, known as the Babylonians. That's how I'll refer to them from here forward. This is God's country. This is God's people. And, and, and what's he going to do to them? And, and look at that description. Bitter, hasting, marching, seizing country after country, fierce, hostile. They, they don't use diplomacy. They're just a brutal, sweeping takeover. And God used a number of, of pictures from nature to describe them. Horses that have the speed of leopards, fierce wolves. Their troops swoop down on the prey like vultures. Armies swept across the desert like, like the wind. And church history and, and, and the history of God's word, and even we see later on, they did do this. They came swooping country after country, devouring everything. King Nebuchadnezzar, the mighty, the powerful, Babylon, the great. They laughed at the gates and walls and fortified cities because they would just take them with ease. Nothing was difficult for them. So, first of all, Habakkuk could not understand what God was allowing his people to, to experience and allowing what, uh, could not believe what he was allowing them to go through. Yeah, his people were living in sin and living away from God, but this is how you're going to punish them? This is how you're going to clean up the land? This makes no sense. And see, so his first problem was with God's people, but the second problem was with God's response. God, how could you do this? God, that's not right. We're going to see him say, that's not fair. Let's read on in verse 12, and we're going to go right through to the end of the chapter here to verse 17. Let's look down at, God's re- or at Habakkuk's response. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offering to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? God, you are so holy. God, you are so pure. How can you allow these evil people? How can you sit idly by and allow this to happen? And we see that Habakkuk, he is tested to the very core of his being concerning everything that he believed about God. God, I thought you were loving. God, I thought you were holy and, and, and just. And let's face it, folks. There are times that God is hard to figure out, isn't he? Do you agree with me? Sometimes his ways and how he works, it's like, what is going on? And sometimes doesn't seem very fair. I think of just my quick trip to Calgary this past week and 
seen a dear lady from our church who was very instrumental in starting things. I think there's a picture of her um, here this past week from her 70th birthday party. She moved to Calgary, sadly leaving this church that she was such a big part of in the early days and right up until she left. She, she, she moved to Calgary, though, to be with her son and, and, and to help with her grandsons and, and, and with a great desire to see them to come to know the Lord. But on November 13th, she was diagnosed with lung cancer. And it seems that this cancer is spreading quickly. And this week, it was a joy to celebrate her 70th birthday. She kept saying during the party, she kept saying, this is the best birthday ever. And I said, yeah, because I'm here, right? And, no, I, I didn't say that, and nor did I even think that. But she just kept saying, this is the best birthday party ever. So sorry if you've ever celebrated a birthday with her in the past. It paled in comparison. Why? Because her sons were together. She's with her grandsons that she loves and cares so much for. She cares for the souls of her family in such a real way. And she said to me, you know, Melvin, I thought I was going to be a help to my son and his three boys and encourage them and, and, and encourage the young church, the Redemption Church in Calgary South and the same family of churches that we're a part of and it's a newer church and she said, I was hoping to be an encouragement to them and she said, instead now I'm the one in need and I'm the one struggling and while I was there visiting, a lady from the church came and dropped off a casserole, some things for her fridge, some food for her and the boys in the coming days and she said to me, I didn't see this coming, Melden. I didn't see it coming. And then even Friday night, some of you have already heard she was rushed to hospital with stroke-like symptoms. And the cancer is advancing quickly. And yet she has this peace. She's concerned for her children, but she has this peace, a peace that only God could give. And you know what? There are many other stories like that in this room here today. Stories in our world Things that seem so difficult to reconcile. God, are you fair? God, how can this seem right? You know, great minds have wrestled with these questions in great depth, and in the few moments we have together today, we aren't going to be able to dig it into all of it, but great minds, if they've wrestled with these questions, some have come to the conclusion, and it's just an easier, easy out to me, I believe, is there is no God. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. That's just the easy out in so many different ways. Others will come up with a theology about God that would, I guess you could say, let God off the hook a little. They would say that God is the creator, but he watches from afar. He does not intervene or interact with his creation. That's called deism. That God is limited in his power and his influence. There are those that believe that, and that helps them to understand what is going on in this world. Yet other great minds and philosophers, theologians, who can be very popular these days, would say that maybe God is limited in his power, in his knowledge, limited by the free will of humans and a sin-filled world, that, that God's power is because is, he doesn't know what decisions they're going to make because of their free will. Perhaps God's hands are tied and it's all according to free will. They would say that the future is open, that God knows all the possibilities of the future, but he doesn't know the individual choices that we will make. He doesn't know which ones we will choose. That is known as process theology or open theism. All of these have a way of getting God off the hook and just kind of be able to deal with these tough questions. But they also even open up even much more worse and difficult questions as to, towards the sovereignty and the power of God. 
This is the crisis that Habakkuk finds himself in, and even though we may not use the big words or we don't try to understand all the deism and open theism and process theology and read in all of these different things that, from the theologians, these are still the things that we wrestle with. These are the things that Habakkuk wrestled with. And at times we can find ourselves, whether it's in a crisis that we're facing in life, it can become easily a crisis of faith. God, how could you? God, where are you? God, are you fair? I can't believe what you are doing. I can't believe what you're allowing. Here we see he's raising up the Chaldeans. He's raising up the Babylonians against his own people. But we can also learn some things from this servant of God. This is why God's word is so timeless because it's so applicable to the angst and the struggle, how he was so vexed in his own heart in the same way we can take where we are at in the struggles and the questions and the uh, confusion that we have in our life and we can learn from a prophet of God. And we see in verses 12, and seven, 12 to 17 this wrestle and the worship going on. And I encourage you to quickly just write these three things down. We're going to uh, be ending in a few moments, but these are important that we just don't leave you hanging. We have to look at how the prophet responded, and we'll get more answers in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of this book. But we're going to see what happens in this mushy middle, in this confusion, in this not sure what is exactly going on and what God is going to do. When life, even God, seems unfair, we must First of all, remember God's ways are greater. God's ways are higher than our ways. We must remember that. Look at the way that he makes these declarations about God in verses 12 especially. God, you are everlasting, you are eternal, you are Lord, you are rock, you are Yahweh. Now, that term for Lord means Yahweh, the only God. God, you are the only God. You are the God of justice. You are the God who is pure. He, he, he has this good theology about God, but still having a hard time in the wrestle. And Habakkuk believes and understands. He understands God to be sovereign. He sees to him being sovereign over all things, that God does possess supreme power and authority, that God is in control, and he accomplishes what he wants. He believes that about God, but he's still caught in the wrestle. He believes God is not hand-tied or confused. He's not biting his nails over the latest thing that President Trump said. Oh boy, what am I going to do now? He's not biting his nails over the things that are happening in Iran or with, with Russia or, or North Korea. He's not like, oh boy, I didn't see this coming. No, God, God knows but he's still in this angst, and, and this is where we see the beauty of God's word. Psalm 103, verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. And yet he's still in this angst. He has this right, this beautiful theology, this understanding about God, but he's in this angst. And he's trying to reconcile it all. And so he, oftentimes, he, we could conclude, my God doesn't do this. But Habakkuk's view of God, it was very right. Everything he, he understood about God was right. It was theologically, biblically spot on. It was all right, but his understanding of God was also incomplete. And sometimes that's where we land too. We just don't understand the depths of God's ways. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, write down that verse. Encourage you to go home, read it, memorize it, understand it. Allow it to penetrate your lives. When, when the prophet Isaiah said too about just what he was seeing happen to the nation, he said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yes, God is difficult to figure out at times. Why would God permit his people to be punished by a nation more wicked than they? Why doesn't he just destroy the Babylonians? 
Could you not find a better instrument for your judgment than the Babylonians, God? Well, we're going to see later on that God does have a plan for the Babylonians, but he's not there yet. He's not there yet. He's still in the wrestle. Yes, I'm raising them up, and yes, I will judge them, God tells him. But that's later on. He doesn't see that. He doesn't hear that right away. He's in the wrestle. And here's something else. At times, God will allow us to experience hurt to keep us from greater harm. A good and a loving parent will discipline and correct their child. Right, kids? Mom and dad will discipline you. Some of you are saying, yeah, I should be disciplining them a lot more than, than, than they are or whatever it might be. I mean, what loving parent would give a kid everything they asked for? Now, kids would like to receive everything they would ask for. So do we when it comes to God, right? No loving parent would do that. And no loving parent would just let any kid just do whatever they want. Nor would they leave their wrongdoing unpunished. No, a loving parent, I remember hearing years ago of some parents, true story, they, they said, and sorry if you're one of these parents, I don't know how popular this, this kind of philosophy or parenting tip came, they're like, we are not going to ever say no to our child. They will never hear the word no. I'm like, are you kidding me? That was like the first word we probably said, you know, I mean, over and over again, especially to our son. You know, don't do that. Stop. No, no, you can't have that. You know, it's, we're going to redirect their thinking. And, and, and I don't know, like maybe there's some, some other reasoning or something towards that. But a good parent will say no. And God at times, he will say no to his child. And it's out of wisdom, out of love. We don't give our kids everything they want. In wisdom and love, we discipline. And parents will oftentimes say to their child, or at least murmur under their breath, one day you'll get it. One day you'll understand. And later on, when you become a parent or you get older, you start to see, oh, there was some wisdom there. You see, that's kind of like us before God. At times it may not even seem right or fair, but one day, one day, we will see. At times God will allow us to experience hurt to keep us from greater harm. We go to doctors and dentists and physiotherapists and chiropractors. Some of you have personal trainers. We pay people to hurt us. Like how crazy is that, hey? We pay them to, you know, dig in our mouth and, uh, you know, cause the pain and, you know, needles and, you know, and, and, and all the other body bending and breaking that sometimes needs to happen and, you know, surgeries that happen. We pay people to hurt us, not to harm us, but they hurt us for our good. They strengthen, they, they straighten, they deal with the, the disease, they deal with the cavities, they, they deal with these things. And yes, it may hurt, but it's not for our harm. For God, the Babylonians were a scalpel for his people. God would use them to cut out the disease of rebellion and immorality and idolatry and wickedness in their lives. But I have to understand, this wasn't God with a short temper. Sometimes we as parents can have a short temper, don't we? We just react quickly. God's reaction, I mean, that's where even it says in 2 Peter 3 that God is not slow in keeping his promises. He promised he would bring destruction, but before that he sent prophets and warnings because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And that was true about God in the New Testament. It was true about God in the Old Testament. He sent them warnings, but they wouldn't listen. 
And finally, 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 he says, enough. And the Babylonians would come. If God rewards his children for rebelling, he would be a horrible father, a horrible God. He would not be just. Now, now, please don't conclude that every time something bad happens to us or to a nation, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily always God's judgment. We must not credit or blame God with things that we do not have, the divine, have divine insight about. Yet God's word is very clear that we, in Galatians 6, that we will reap what we sow. If we sow a life of sin, we will reap a harvest of sin in our lives. As we will say at times around here, choose to sin, choose to suffer. And sin cannot go unpunished. God has to deal with sin. And yet sin, our punishment, was paid for, was atoned for, was redeemed by Jesus. Our greatest, the greatest act of love, listen to this, listen to this, the greatest act of love is shown in the shadow of the greatest atrocity that ever took place on this earth. The death of a sinless, pure, holy son of God. On a cross where the sinless, loving son of God would die a substitutionary death on the cross for our sin, for my sin, for the sin of the sins of the people of the world. So that if we turn and we repent and we call out to Jesus as our Lord and our Savior and we follow his ways, that that is the determination of our heart. We are not only saved, we are justified, we are declared innocent before God, we are declared holy before God. Positionally, we are declared that, and one day in heaven, we will be that fully and forever. We're forgiven of sin. We escape the punishment of death and separation from God that our sin causes. In fact, death for the life of the believer is just one moment in just a split second as the last breath is taken here on earth. We'll be more alive than ever, ever before with God in eternity. For the believer in Christ, for those who do not believe, it's torment and hell for eternity. If God can use the whore of a cross, he can use our suffering too. You see, oftentimes, when they're suffering, suffering precedes glory. When we face suffering and difficulty in our life, God is refining, God is working. And I've seen that in my own life over the years as we've gone through different seasons of periods of confusion and unrest and wondering, God, what is going on? And, and this started back in my, probably first, some of those first experiences in my 20s and it's, it's happened all throughout ever since. And you wonder, God, what are you doing in a season of suffering as, as we respond to and allow God to do that good work in our lives? And sometimes there's such slow learners and sometimes God's timetable is so slow and so much longer than ours, and he desires, desires to bring his glory in and through even our suffering. And one day, the ultimate suffering that we will face, death here on this earth, will result in glory like we could never imagine. The cross answers the question, why don't you do something about evil? He has done something about evil, the worst of evil. He has atoned, he has given his son as a sacrifice, and it guarantees that one day, the end to all suffering. Here's something else about God. God sees the beginning from the end. 
every Thanksgiving, our, our, our family now, the Lutzer family is gathered in Alberta for the last, I think, 13 years for a Lutzer family camp Thanksgiving weekend. And every year, there are some epic football battles that take place. In the last few years, my one brother-in-law brought a drone, and you're going to see some drone footage here uh, on the screen. He, he brought a drone, and, and, and you have to understand, are you able to roll that? Just play. So, so here it is, intense struggle and battling, and, and, and all that matters while we are playing is the next play, and it's about winning, and I'm telling you, there's some intensity there from my brothers, and you know, I mean, some of them are sore losers, you know, it would seem, and so we play, and, and we, everything that matters, but the cool thing about this drone footage is all of a sudden, and it lifts up from outside of this intense football game to the beauty of everything around us. And you gain a perspective that, that life isn't all about just what's happening down on the field, down on the gridiron of life, that, that, that real life God is doing something greater. And this is, God sees the beginning from the end. 1 Corinthians 13 says, right now we see through the glass dimly. We don't see clearly what is going on in, in our world, in our lives, in our families, and in, in the spiritual realm. But one day we will see one day we will see clearly, and God has a perspective of everything better than a drone image of things from the third heaven. He sees the tapestry that is being built out here on this earth, and, and, and one day in heaven, what is to come? And so we remember God's ways are higher than our ways, and then second of all, to bring our, we, we must bring our frustrations to God when life seems fair, unfair. This is what Habakkuk was doing. He was running to God. He was running to God rather than running away from God. Henry Blackaby, an author, pastor, he made this comment. He said, every true believer will have mountaintop experiences with God, but will also have crisis of faith. And in that crisis, often caused by health or, or finances or relational issues, we have a choice, either to run from God, to turn away from him in hurt, in anger, and bitterness, or to press into God. And that is what we are to do. When, when life, even God, seems unfair, we bring our frustrations and our questions to the right place. We bring them to God. And then thirdly, we see that we worship and we cling to God as we wait for him. We worship him while we wait. Verses 12 to 17 are labels, labeled as Habakkuk's complaint, but you know what? In many different it could also be said, this is also Habakkuk's worship. Habakkuk is worshiping God during this time. Look at how he is affirming, you are holy, you are righteous, you are just. Habakkuk is a book that gives us permission to cry out to God. And by the time we get to the end of this book, Habakkuk is at peace. Faith and hope build and grow and eventually our understanding of what God is doing as we press into God, as we worship him, as we understand his ways in a greater way through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing God's word, resting, trusting in God's word and worshiping him. Let's pray together. Father, in so many different ways, what we've been talking about today, we could spend a lot longer. And yet, God, so many of us in life, and even there are those that are here this morning that are listening, they would, they would agree that they're in that mushy middle right now of life, of confusion, of hurt, and wondering, God, what are you doing? 
And perhaps some of these questions and thoughts haven't even been voiced to anyone else on the face of this earth except to you. God, would we run to you in these times? God, would we worship you? Would we cling to your word? Would we see the body of Christ to be important and essential to have brothers and sisters stand with us and pray with us, encourage and support us in our questions and in our confusion? Thank you that you are a God who cares and that so many of the psalms are psalms of lament of people confused by what you are doing and yet we find that so oftentimes by the end they are finding their rest, they are finding their peace. Maybe not the resolve of their circumstances but they find you in the midst. Would we do that even this morning as we worship you? God, we're a nation, we're a society that is in so many different ways we are so ripe for judgment even. We have turned so far from you and when we see everything that is going on in the world and even in your church, Lord, so oftentimes there's questions and confusion. God, would you make a way in the darkness? Would you provide light? Would you provide direction? Would you, would you provide strength? We have your promises in your word. Would we humble ourselves before you, humble ourselves before others in humility and repentance? Would we pray, would we seek your face, would we turn and run from our wicked ways, from our immorality, from our idolatry, all the things that are coming in, it's so much more important than you. God, would you do a work of refining and restoring, and I believe in so many different ways that our world, we are, your word says we're headed towards judgment, but God, you can relent and you have done in the past and you have brought revival, and God, would you bring revival to me? Teach one of us here, revive, renew, restore. Do that in this church, in this city, in this region, in this nation. We pray, oh God, we need you. And in the meantime, would we worship you and believe that by faith that you are working. And so do that good work in us here this morning, we pray.